Our text is chapter 17 of the Gospel of John and verse 3. John 17 and verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Amen. Today, throughout the world, millions of people are remembering one of the most remarkable and historic events in human history. It is the very miracle of the incarnation of the Son of God. But yet, while millions of people around the world today, and even those who went before us, remember the incarnation of Jesus Christ, many still, however, do not appreciate what God has done for us in the Son. Many, even today, do not seriously reflect on the significance of this miracle, maybe even the greatest miracle that God ever did, sending the eternal Son, very God of very God, to become a human being, and doing so into a world that fundamentally is ungrateful. Many of you, thankfully, here this morning, you have been touched by the Spirit of God. Your heart has been softened. God has given you a heart of flesh. He's put his spirit within you, and he's given you the gift of faith. And you, thankfully, are here this morning to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's grace to you. It is not something we have done. It's not something we've earned. It's not something we, by our own life, have merited in any way, but simply by the grace of God. But others of you remain unchanged in the face of this extraordinary miracle. This, as I said, was likely the most wondrous of miracles. It certainly is up there with, with the resurrection when you think about it. But in some ways, I think the, the incarnation is even more mysterious. I think it, it is in many ways beyond our comprehension, more so than even the resurrection. It's mysterious, it's beyond our ability to understand how can an eternal, immutable, indivisible, eternal God become a creature. Now, we celebrate the Christmas season, and many enjoy the holidays, they enjoy the parties this time of year, the family gatherings, the activities, the giving and the receiving of gifts, but your heart is still untouched and lifeless towards the Son of God. And so our theme today from this verse is this, that God sent his Son that we might have true life forever. God sent his Son that we might have true life forever. We are living in a day, particularly in the West, where not only are conversions from the world to Jesus Christ rare, but many within the visible ranks of the church are leaving Christ for the world. This is a, a plague of late, and it is touching even the majority of our own households. It is the worst of all judgments of God to taste of the power of the ages to come and then to fall away from the living God. It would be better to suffer disease, to lose your spouse to death, to lose your job, to lose your home, than to lose God himself. And yet this is nothing new. We see this 
even in Jesus' day. You think, boys and girls, of the rich young ruler who turned away. One of the saddest statements in the Bible. He walked away. He walked away from Jesus. The Pharisees saw the miracle of Jesus Christ performed in the synagogue with a man who had a, a withered arm. And they went out, we are told, of the synagogue. They went out from Christ to conspire how they might put Jesus to death. In John chapter 6, when Jesus dealt with some of the harder doctrines to understand, particularly the, the doctrine of inability of man in his fallen condition, that no man can come to God, no man can come to Christ unless the Spirit of God brings him. And many people, this was too much. And they began to walk away and they left Jesus Christ. And Jesus turned to his own inner disciples and said, will you leave me as well? Why is this so serious? Well, for two reasons that I want to give you this morning. Number one, it's serious because Jesus Christ was sent by God. He was sent by God. That's point number one. And then point number two, that Christ came to give life. Christ came to give life. And so I want to take this in two parts. First of all, Christ was sent by God. Christ was sent by God. Look at our text again. This is eternal life, that they may know you, that is Jesus is praying here to the Father, that they may know you, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, notice it says, whom you have sent. Jesus here says that he was sent into the world by the Father. I want you to use your imagination here. Put on your sci-fi hat for a second here. And imagine you're an astronaut. And you're sent to a space station to work. And one of the day's jobs is to repair some stuff on the outside of the space station. And so you and your colleagues, you go out and you begin to do the work. And you climb outside and you're repairing. And yet, despite all the precautions that you have taken and that NASA has built into such a, 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 an assignment. Something goes tragically wrong and you are separated from the space station. Now suddenly you are sent drifting into space farther and farther away and the space station is getting smaller and smaller as you continue to drift farther away from it. Now imagine that NASA somehow decides to try and rescue you. And they send another rocket into space. Everyone back on Earth is glued to their television set to see if you, the astronaut, will be rescued and brought safely back. And by some mere miracle of providence, they're able to link up with you and bring you back. And you're rescued and brought to Earth with great fanfare, people celebrating and rejoicing and you're there before a battery of media to give your account of what happened. All of this, however, would be a small thing compared to what God has done to rescue you through his incarnation. The sending of a rocket to rescue a stranded astronaut would be a small thing compared to the Father sending the eternal Son into this world. Many times we read of 
rescues, don't we? We read of a child that has fallen into a deep well and the 24-7 rescue effort that goes kicking into gear to try and save that child. Boys who are trapped in a cave. Made even a movie about it recently. We read of people who are buried for days under the rubble of a building that has collapsed due to an earthquake. And yet none of our rescue efforts can ever compare to God rescuing us through Jesus Christ, his son. God has gone to miraculous lengths to save you. Do you realize that in rescuing you, the, the holy person of Christ, the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity, had to add an entirely second nature to his already divine nature. That is, trillions and trillions and trillions of years ago, all the way up until about 2,000 years ago, the Son was always the eternal Son of God. But at that moment of the incarnation, when the Spirit of God came upon Mary, he took to himself our humanity, and now the person of Christ though still one person, has two distinct natures. He is fully God, but now, until eternity future, he is also a real man. The Son of God has become a part of the creation. He has become a creature like us, yet without any sin. He will always be now, forever, God and man. Why would God do this? Because it was the only way to save us. It's the only way for God to rescue us. You see, we could not rescue ourselves. Adam plunged us into the, the sin and the misery by disobeying God. And we, being united to that first Adam, we are, we are born into that sin and misery ourselves. And there is no way for us to work ourselves out of that condition. The rescue has to come from outside of ourselves. We are in, in, in the same way like that astronaut. That astronaut drifting in space cannot save himself. There's nothing he can do. He, he's utterly lost. It, the, the salvation has to come from without to rescue him. This is what God does for us in Jesus Christ in sending the Son. Jesus, we are told here in our text, whom you have sent. The Father has sent the Son. Now you need to realize that the Father did not send the Son unwillingly. He did not send the Son begrudgingly. Oh, there they go again. Well, I guess you'll just have to go, Son, and get them. It was the love of God that compelled the sending of the Son. And we should not think that the Father and the Son were on different pages on this matter. The Son did not come into this world unwillingly. Jesus willingly was sent. He volunteered for this. Father, let me go. I will go, Father. I will become a man, and I will substitute myself as a man for all of humanity. And I will live for them the righteous life that they have been unable to live. I will live that sinless life. I will accrue the merit that only you will accept in heaven. The perfect obedience that is required for heaven. Father, there's no way that they can merit it. There's no way they can get it unless I go. I want to go. 
And the father says, go. And the son comes. And the spirit of God says, I will bring you to the son. And the spirit comes to the virgin Mary and conceives within her womb one who is both God and man. The miracle of miracles involving all three persons of the Trinity. All of this was done to send for you, to rescue you. He was sent for you. But will you ignore the rescue operation? Would you refuse NASA if NASA came and said, come in, <laughs> we're taking you home? Why would you refuse the holy and the living God? Will you disdain the very plan of God's salvation? How foolish is such a rejection. This world is soon to burn, and all who love this world are going to burn with it. God has sent the Son to save us from this fiery judgment. <clears throat> to use another illustration, imagine you're in a burning house. The house is just consumed all around with fire, and you are trapped inside. Nothing but flames in any direction you look, nothing but smoke. You dropping to the floor. Suddenly, men with fireproof gear break in. Firemen come and break into the room and where you are. Would you run from those firemen? To hide in another part of the house that soon is to perish? Would you resist the firemen who risk their own lives to come and save you? And yet this is the madness of those who resist the Holy Spirit, who run away from Jesus Christ who is pursuing you, who has been sent to save you. And so that leads to our second point. Jesus not only was sent, but Jesus came that you could have eternal life. Our text again, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Now, who's the you here? That they may know the Father. Jesus is praying to the Father in this prayer. That they may know you, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, that they may know. Now, why was Jesus sent by the Father? That you might have eternal life. That you might know the true and the living God. God has sent the Son to deliver us from death. Now, how do you have eternal life, the Scripture says, by knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ? Well, how do I know him? What does that mean? Well, it means at least three things. First of all, you must understand who he is. You have to have a right understanding. If you are to really know God, you first of all have to have a right understanding of who he is and who the Son is. Now, many people do not understand who Jesus is. Even in Jesus' day, Jesus asked the question of his disciples, who do the people say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're one of the prophets. And Jesus then turned to his disciples again and said, but who do you say that I am? 
and the Spirit of God revealing it to Peter, Peter said that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He had a right understanding. Today, we have all kinds of answers, just in, as like in Jesus' day. Some say you're a good teacher. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a supreme example for mankind. But who do you say that he is? Well, John tells us in his gospel who he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Word that has become flesh, who's dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And yet the Word became flesh, came into this world. He is, Jesus is the Son of God. He is, as we said in the Nicene Creed this morning, he is very God of very God. So you, first of all, you have to understand rightly who he is. Secondly, must, you must not only have a, a right understanding of who he is, but then you have to assent to that understanding. You must assent to who he is. That is, what does that mean to assent, boys and girls? It means you must be in agreement with who he says he is. It's, it's one thing to understand that Jesus claims to be the Son of God, but it's another for a person to assent to that. Give you an illustration. I, in college, had a professor that I think I've told you about who could give a great lecture on Luther's understanding of the doctrine of justification. And you, if you sat in that hour long lecture, you would learn exactly what Luther believed about the doctrine of justification. But that same professor who could articulate Luther's view accurately did not hold to that view himself. You see, he understood, but he himself did not assent. He understood what Luther believed. He understood what the doctrine of justification was, but he himself did not also affirm it with Luther. There, there are many people who find religion intellectually interesting. They can rightly understand it, but they do not assent to its claims. They do not adhere to it. So we must not only understand it rightly, understand the gospel, understand who God is, understand who Christ is, we have to also assent to this. But even this, even if you check Box one and box two, you may still not know who God is. You say, well, Pastor, how is that possible to have a right understanding of who Jesus is and to even assent to who he is, but still not know him? Well, the book of James tells us there are creatures called demons that do that very thing. They have a proper understanding of who God is and who Jesus is, and they assent to it. The demons will cry out, you are the Holy One of Israel. Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are. Do not cast us into the outer abyss, but put us in the swine, in the herd. You see, the demons understand that Jesus has all power and authority. They understand he is very God of very God. They even assent to it. And they do everything that is commanded when Jesus tells them to get out of this individual. But what's lacking? 
They do not trust Jesus. They do not love him. They do not submit to him. They understand him. They assent. But they will not trust him. And if we are to know God, according to this verse, this is eternal life, that they may know you, we have to have all three. We must understand, we must ascend, and we must trust the Lord. What is trust, therefore? Or to put it another way, what is true faith? It is the rendering God and Christ. If I am to trust in God and Christ, I render to him. It is evidenced by my rendering evangelical obedience. Faith in him, trust in him that produces the works of God. Jesus said, if you love me, or to paraphrase it, if you trust me, then obey me. Imagine um, a father and his son, and they go out to the lake, or they go to maybe a pond on a farm, and the son goes swimming into the lake. He wades in, and he begins to swim in the, in the lake or in the pond, and the father is on the shore watching his young son swim. But the father spies a copperhead snake on the surface of the water moving towards his son. And he tells the son to get out of the water now. Now here's the moment of truth. Will the son obey the father? Does the son have this implicit trust in the father to do what the father says to do instantly? Or is he going to say, but I don't feel like coming out of the water. I don't want to come out of the water. I like swimming. You see, the, the son who understands his father, he has sensed that that's my dad, but yet will not trust his dad when his father is trying to warn him of a, a snake approaching. When the son is bit by the snake, it's because he did not have fiduciary. If he had trusted in his father, he would have obeyed his father. Unfortunately, many today think it's legalism for a child of God to obey the father. The word here, to know, is a little lost in the English. I know we English speakers think we have the best of all languages. <laughs> but... Sometimes our language doesn't capture what other languages are trying to tell us. You see, the word to know here is deeper than the way we often use the word know. An example of this might be in Genesis where Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Now, that is not a mere intellectual apprehension that brings about pregnancy. <laughs> there is more to this knowing, this knowing is, 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 yes, it involves the mind and, and the will, but also the affections. It, it's a, it is the totality of our human nature leaning entirely upon the person of God and the work of Jesus Christ. It's to see 
God and Jesus Christ as your all in all. It's to see that, that this is life. Many people ask themselves, what is life? What is the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? Why do I exist? And many people cannot answer these questions, or if they do answer them, they answer them superficially. Life is pleasure, they say. Life is being happy. Life is doing good. Life is trying to make a difference. Life is trying to leave a legacy behind. Life is about being a, a good spouse, a good parent. For others, they say life is being a good citizen, a good Roman. But Jesus here says something else in his prayer. He says this is eternal life. Not just life in abundance in this world, but forever. This is life. You see, if you have pleasure, you will only have it for a season. And even that which often gives pleasure leads to misery in the long run. If you're living for happiness, if you think life is but happiness, well then that too is going to fail you. Happiness cannot sustain you. If you think it's simply making a difference or leaving a legacy behind, well, I have news for you. You can't even name all of your great-grandparents by their first name, can you? And that's only a few generations from you. You might be able to name one, two, three, four. Can you name all eight of them? Nope, you can't. That's not going to last. Jesus says this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, that they may love you, they may trust you, that they might have a relationship with you. This is, this is what life is. Life is knowing God who made us. We were made for him. We were made in his image. We were made for fellowship with him. Life without him is no life at all. No matter what you try to cram and substitute in its place. We were created for God, but the problem is that sin has separated you from God. And thus you are born into a world where you by nature are already alienated from the one true purpose and meaning of life. And it is utter folly to try and find ultimate meaning in anything else or lesser things. Everything is lesser. Real purpose comes from placing your focus on the one who has created you and the one who wants this relationship with you. Why did Jesus Christ become a baby? Jesus Christ became a baby ultimately in order to go to the cross. The whole purpose of Christ coming into this world was not so you could get warm, fuzzy feelings thinking about the manger scene. There's an awful truth behind the incarnation. That is, we were hopelessly dead in our sins and lost to everything but perdition, unless God did something in order to save us and rescue us. The reason Jesus Christ became a baby was so that he could become a man, and that he could become a man who lived a perfect, obedient life. 
and that this perfectly obedient and sinless man should die for crimes he didn't commit so that your sins could be committed to Christ and his righteousness could be freely given to you. This is what it means to have eternal life. Have you come to know God yet? Have you come really to know God? Not just intellectually, not just assenting, but trusting, leaning all your weight. Just like that astronaut. Trusting entirely upon the rescue that is coming his way. There's nothing he can do. His only hope is outside of himself. Your hope and your only hope and my only hope is to lean on him who was sent for you. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day where we could commemorate the life of your son and in his life giving us life.